here at NLCC. And uh, we want to go ahead and just hit the ground running here and get into this word that God has given to us. And while we are going through this message, I would just like for you to keep in mind this title that was laid upon my heart. Which will it be? Christ or judgment? Those are the two choices. Nice and simple. Short and sweet. Not complicated, like the world would like to do, making things complicated. But this is the choice that has not only been given to us, but given to the world. Which will it be? Christ or judgment? We're going to be coming from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. And with this, a subtext. Choices have consequences. Choices have consequences. Let's pray. Dear kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you once again, Lord God, for giving us this yet another opportunity, Lord God, to come before your presence, Lord God. We thank you, Lord, for this opportunity you've given to this, your humble servant, to preach and to teach, to share your word, Lord, with this congregation, with those who are within the sound of my voice. And Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would help that I might not add anything to it or take anything away. But Lord, I ask right now in the name of Jesus that you would help us, Lord God, that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the church on today. We thank you, Lord God. We give you the praise, the glory, and the honor, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. And while you are standing, I'm sorry, <laughs> we are going to just go ahead and read this scripture text. I will try to read it as quickly as possible, looking at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 39. For if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much severer punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's good that that's not where he left off because there's hope, right? But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of suffering partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading in the hearing of his word, you may be seated at this time. As I said, choices have consequences. Some of those consequences are good and some are bad. Sometimes the word consequence has with it a negative connotation, but there are good consequences and bad consequences to choices and decisions that we make. One of the th thoughts that came to me was in this last and evil day, the days that we find ourselves in, and make no mistake, we have been in the last days since Jesus went back to heaven. Because a day is as a thousand years, 
and a thousand years is as one day to the Lord. Time has no consequence to God because he does things in his own time, but he made time for us. So it may seem as though it's been a long time and that somehow or another he is delaying his promise and delaying his coming and his return, but in his economy of time, there is no delay at all. Things are going according to plan, and they are right on schedule. Nothing can escape the sovereignty of God. There is not one maverick molecule on the face of this planet or in the universe that has the prerogative of its own to do what it wants to do aside and apart from the will and sovereign power of God. So it may seem like things are unraveling, but this is nothing new, is it? This is something that if you have been a student of the word, you know that what is going on in this world is not a surprise. It is what God said would happen. The only surprise is that it happened in our lifetime, right? We never would have thought some of the things that we are seeing today, that we are seeing them. We never would have thought that nine or ten months ago that we would be where we are right now. Who would have thought? No one would have thought, but God knew, didn't he? And he knew what we would have need of. And with this, there are ideas that we find in Scripture that tell us that we need to be alert. What does that mean, be alert? Now, when I go to work and I uh, ask for two shots of espresso, right, in my coffee, hmm, my intention is to be alert. Since I've gotten off midnights, I am down to one now. Soon, my hope is to be off of it completely. That's my goal. But it keeps me alert because in order for me to do my job the way that I need to do it, I need to be alert. We as Christians, we need to be alert, don't we, in order for us to do what it is that God has called us to do, which is our job as Christians, right? He did not just leave us here for no reason after he saved us, right? He has a reason for us being here even still, and we need to be about our Father's business, don't we? We need to work while it is day. Why? Because the night is coming when no man can work. It's approaching the midnight hour. It's getting dark, isn't it? Hmm? It's getting real dark out there right now, and evening is going to be upon us. We need to work while we still can. Not only do we need to be alert, but we have to have some discernment also, don't we? Discernment, that's something that is not preached about, not taught a lot about, but what is discernment? Being able to look behind the scenes, right? Look behind the curtain to be able to see the big picture and not just be distracted by what has been placed before your eyes, right? Because sometimes we can have lying eyes, right? We can have lying ears, right? What is the truth is not necessarily what we see, and it is not necessarily what we hear either. So we need to rely upon the Holy Spirit to give us discernment so that we can distinguish the truth from a lie. Where do these lies come from? Well, usually things come from a father, don't they? A parent, right? Hmm? And who was a liar from the beginning? The devil, Satan, and he is the father of lies also. So we need to have some discernment. Now, it's kind of hard to explain this concept to those that are in the world. We know that it is the Holy Spirit that gives us discernment. It is the knowing of God's word that helps us to be able to distinguish truth from error, okay? A FBI agent does not look at all of the different counterfeit bills that have ever been created on the face of the planet so that he can distinguish which ones are counterfeit, which ones are fake. What he does is he makes himself so familiar with the real one that when a fake one comes before his path or her path, he knows it or she knows it instantaneously. They can feel the paper, the weight of it. Hmm? 
They can examine it with their eyes. There are certain details and characteristics that they are looking for in order to know whether it is real or if it is fake. It's like a sixth sense, right? There was a movie a long time ago called The Sixth Sense. So when I'm talking about this sixth sense, I'm not saying you can see dead people, okay? That's not the sixth sense that I'm talking about. Many of you might know or remember that movie, The Sixth Sense, hmm? where the little boy had the ability to not only see but speak to dead people, right? What I'm talking about is more like a spidey sense. Maybe you kids might know what that is. Hmm? A spidey sense, right? That's when, you know, right before something bad is about to happen, it's almost like the hairs on the back of your neck stand up and you know that you need to brace yourself or react or prepare yourself for what is coming. Okay? Well, the Word of God has equipped us with this sixth sense, right? The Holy Spirit has equipped us with this sixth sense, and we should be able to know that things the way they are now are not the way they used to be, and that things are gearing up to the point where we could just about expect Jesus' return any time. Now, how long have they been saying that? They've been saying that for a while, haven't they? But I have never been more convinced in all of my, I'll say, short life, because I haven't crossed over 50 yet, okay? I have not been more convinced that it is closer now than it has ever been. So we need to be ready and prepared, don't we? This is not a message about doom and gloom. This is also about encouragement as well, right? Because nobody in here who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior should have any doom and gloom, and they should not be distraught about anything that is going on. They should be encouraged, and they should be hopeful, shouldn't they? Right? Because we have a hope that is in Christ and not in this world. So previously, when I stood before you, we came from the book of Hebrews as well, and we spoke to you about drawing near to God. We talked about uh, the body of Christ, the church, and us not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as believers, and so much more as we see the day of judgment approaching, okay? Which is why I believe that it is a good thing for us to be able to come together and to meet as we are doing right now. We came from the book of Hebrews last time as well, and uh, we ended with the admonishment from the Hebrew writer in chapter 10, verses 23 through 25, which reads, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, and let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. My intent today, as I said, is to do just that. It is to encourage you. I want to encourage you, not scare you today. That being said, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. We never want to forget that. So there's three points I just want to kind of go over during this time that I stand before you in answer to that question, which will it be, Christ or judgment? In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 26 through 31, we can see that if we go on willfully sinning, sinning judgment is what can be expected. Verses 32 through 34, if we endure a great conflict of suffering, Christ is what we can expect. In verses 35 through 39, if we confidently endure in faithful obedience, surely and certainly Christ is what we can expect. 
So looking at that verse 26, if we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. So all Christians, all people, in fact, are born into this world, what? In sin, right? And some Christians, they have an occasion to fall into sin from time to time. But none should go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth. Can we agree on that? Hmm? This is incompatible with genuine Christian life and is not representative of true saving faith. So what is the solution? It seemed like it was pretty dismal, didn't it? Reading about all this judgment stuff, right? But God never leaves us in a lurch where he does not give us a solution to our problem. So what is the solution? What can set a person free from sin? I found that nothing can free a person like the truth can set a person free. The truth. And not only can it set a person free spiritually, but mentally and physically as well. When we think about mental conditions that have us bound, if we have the truth about things, then we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be anxious. We don't have to be depressed. We don't have to have all of these things that can come as a result of situational things. I'm not talking about clinical depression, okay, because God can handle that too. But I'm talking about situational and circumstantial things that lead to these mental instabilities that we have. The truth can set us free. When we're talking about physical limitation, physical problems, sometimes it's just a matter of, oh, we didn't know. I didn't know. I have taken care of patients that have had diabetes for 20 or 30 years, and they still don't know why they're taking insulin. They still don't know why they're taking metformin. They still don't have the connection between drinking pop that has sugar in it and juice that has sugar in it and their diabetes. Why? Because no one ever told them. And once I tell them, it's like a light goes on, and they're like, wow, that's all I had to do? was just stop eating that stuff and drinking this stuff, and that's what insulin does? I just thought you're supposed to take it no matter what. No. People perish for a lack of what? Knowledge. The Word has told us that, and it is true. So people can be set free physically as well. They can be empowered to be set free mentally and physically, and we know they can be set free spiritually, right? Because whom the Son sets free is free indeed, right? We find that Jesus, as he was speaking to some of the Jews who had believed here in uh, John 8, 31 and 32, he said, so Jesus was say saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. He was talking to the ones who did something first, though, right? Those that believed, right? You have to believe first before you can be set free. If you don't believe in Jesus, then you are still in your sins and still in the bondage of sin, and you are not free. You may think you are free in the sense that you can go around and just do and say whatever you want to, right? But you are not free, right? You are still a slave to sin and therefore in bondage. There is no other Savior but Jesus. He is the only sacrifice for sin that grants eternal life to mankind once accepted as a free gift from God. So if a person does not accept the one and only acceptable sacrifice for sins, there remains no other. If Jesus is the only way, then you can't bring another way, right? You can't, if, if Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me, then there is no other way for you to get to the Father. There is no way to get to where the Father is at, which is in heaven. 
no matter what they might say to you to the contrary. Nothing but judgment awaits you. And this should cause us to reach out to our family and our friends and our coworkers and any and everybody else who is living in this burning building right now. It's on fire. And what we're doing right now is running back into the, bi- the burning building. When we come out of this church, this sanctuary, we are running into a burning building, and our goal should be to save as many people from that burning building as possible and bring them to sanctuary. And the only place that a person can find sanctuary is in the presence of God, in the arms of the Lord, right? Huh? You have to be in Christ, just like in the Old Testament, right before the rain started falling the first time. The only people that got saved were those that were in the ark. But once the door was shut, hmm, nobody else was getting in. They were knocking and beating probably, right, trying to get in, saying, I believe, I believe, right? Now I want to hear what you are saying, huh? Open up the door. Open up the door. And they probably gave up all hope once the water got to about right here. Hmm? When it got over their head and they couldn't swim any longer. I'm a goner. It's too late, right? That's one of the worst things, I think, about the concept, the idea, the reality of hell. I don't know what it would be like to be on fire all the time, without any relief, without being consumed, without there being an end to it. But the mental aspect of it is what gets me. The eternal regret of every single opportunity that you had throughout all of your life to respond appropriately to Jesus Christ That question that was asked last week, what are you going to do with Jesus, right? You answered, I'm going to worship and serve him. I'm going to accept him, right? But others have said, no, not for me. And they will remember that constantly for all eternity with no relief. Regret, even in this life, is one of the worst things that a person can experience because you cannot turn back the clock and do it over again. Hmm? My son, Julian, was going through a video game of his, platform game, and he said, I was killed 70 times, but I kept going back hmm? over and over and over again, and finally, I beat it. He beat it one time out of 71 times. One time. Hmm? And he got an opportunity each time to hit the reset button and go back and get a do-over, right? Anybody here had a chance to do a do-over in life? Huh? To just erase all of those mistakes that you had made in the past, huh? And go back and then start all over again, right? That is man's invention, right? That's what reincarnation is all about, right? You keep hitting the reset button, coming back doing it over and over and over and over until you get it right, and then uh, eventually you end up in nirvana, right? You'll be united with the eternal, universal soul, right? But that's not reality, though, is it? Because it's once appointed for a man to die, and then after that, what comes? A do-over? A reset? Huh? The judgment is what comes. We need to act as though that is the reality, right? Not only for us, but for those that we love and those that are around us. You don't get a do-over. I just, last week, saw a cousin of mine who is six months, who was six weeks older than I am, die in a hospital with more comorbidities than you can shake a stick at. And he died because his heart stopped while he was in dialysis. And he's no longer with us now. You never know 
you don't know. You can walk into a hospital on your own two feet and be carried out in a bag. We just don't know, do we? So we need to act as though today is our last day. We can make plans, yes, as though we have 50, 60, 70 years. We can make plans, right, knowing that God is the one who determines the up or the down on those plans, right, Huh? that he's sovereign, but we need to act as though today is our last day. That is a proper perspective because we are on borrowed time, time that we have received from God that we need to be good stewards of and use it in such a way as to bring glory to God, right? We need to redeem the time, don't we, right? We need to make the best use of the time that God has given to us because we don't know how many days we have. We don't know how many seconds we have, right? We have no idea. We just keep on reaching into our pocket like the little boy at the arcade with the quarters that his mama gave him, right? He kept on taking those quarters and putting it into the game. I'm going to beat my highest score. I'm going to beat it this time. I'm going to beat it this time. And then he reached in his pocket and no more quarters, nothing but lint. He turned, take his, his pockets and turned them inside out, hanging out. I got to have one more quarter somewhere. No. And then you sit there and you watch nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Game over. This is not a game, is it? Life is not a game. It has eternal consequences, doesn't it? It matters, right? When we think about this passage in verse 27. But a terrifying expectation of judgment and the fury of a fire which will consume the adversaries. What remains for those who reject the only means of salvation? What is it? If you reject the only means of salvation and you do it consistently, and you do it in an apostate manner, which is even worse than not knowing about it, there's nothing that remains for you but judgment. The day of judgment is fastly approaching. I don't know about you. Can you feel it? Can you? I can feel it. It's like a spidey sense, seriously. Like something is about to jump off. Huh? That's the way it feels to me. Look at the words used to describe the fate of those who reject the truth that God sent in the person of his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Just look at them. Terrifying. Expectation of judgment. Fury of fire, which will consume the adversaries. That does not sound good to me. That does not sound good to me in any way, shape, or fashion. Not even something I wish upon my worst enemy, anyone. In the literary world, these would be considered attention getters. So when you do a speech, when you do a paper, you want to get people's attention, don't you? And what do you do in the first paragraph? You put something out there that grabs their attention, right? Hmm? So that they listen to what it is that you say. These words right here, they should get our attention. Huh? It sounds a bit dismal, bleak even, doesn't it? How about terrifying? How about hor horrifying, horrific? These are words that would better describe the fate of those who have rejected the only way of salvation. Verse 28, anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. This is making reference to an apostate, one who knows the word of truth, and that is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone and intentionally and willfully rebels against the and turns away from the only one who can save them. And who is that? Jesus Christ. Judas Iscariot was perhaps the greatest of all apostates. You imagine him walking with Jesus and talking with Jesus and being 
taught by Jesus, witnessing all of the things that Jesus did, some of which, according to John, were not included in the Gospels, right? Things that eyes have not seen and ears have not heard, nor hath it entered the heart of man, these kinds of things never seen before. And what did he do? He betrayed the Lord of glory for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. He threw all that away. He threw away his confidence. He didn't have any, did he? He had no confidence in Christ, right? He wanted Christ to do one thing for him, behave a certain way for him, and he did not come that way, and therefore he had no use for him. Many people who are born and raised in the church come to that same conclusion, and those people are at the most risk. They cannot claim that they did not hear, that they were not taught, that they had no idea about the way of salvation and the means by which to get saved. They cannot claim that, can they? It would be better for them not to have known, right, than to know and then reject the only one who can save them. Why is that? Because it's not a matter of you need more revelation, you need more knowledge. The complete revelation and knowledge that it requires that is needed in order to be saved, that you have rejected. So don't look for greater revelation. Is there a greater revelation than Jesus Christ and him crucified, him coming in the flesh? There is no greater revelation of God that is coming. That's it. And it comes through faith in God, faith in his word, doing the exact opposite of what Adam and Eve did in the garden. They heard God and didn't believe him, but believed another, right? The wife believed the snake. Huh? The husband believed the wife, but none of them believed God. None of them believed God. So how is it that you can reverse that? By believing God by not listening to others, right? And husbands, I'm not saying don't ever listen to your wife. That's not what I'm saying. But wives, if a snake comes up and talks to you, you need to think twice, right? Maybe three times before you listen to it, right? Hmm? The idea is that we need to believe what God has said and not listen to other voices that tell us something contrary. So this idea of Judas Iscariot walking with Jesus for three years, just ask yourself this question. Don't, don't answer it. How long have you been in church hearing the word of God? How about your kids, huh? family members? Now, it's not up to us to decide if somebody's apostate. We don't put apostate on somebody and then we stop praying for them, right? Hmm? However, the scripture does say that people that act like this don't even don't even pray for them. Once they have revealed themselves as such, right, I would rather err on the side of caution and go ahead and pray for them, right? If I'm going to be called to the carpet when I get to heaven and God say, I told you don't pray for them people, right, in the word, right? Well, I wasn't sure, Lord. I just want to make sure. I'm going to go ahead and pray for them. That, I mean, that, that's my family, right? That's, that's my, you know, that's my coworker. That's my friend. I want to pray for them, Right? Because I know, Lord, you're able to do all things, right? <laughs> with man, these things are impossible, right? But with God, all things are possible, right? I'd rather err on that side, right? Hmm? Huh? With a good heart, with a good motive, right? I'm not going to wipe somebody off and just write them off and be like, not going to do it. That's not my call. That's not my prerogative. It's not my, uh, my right to do that. To anyone. So under the law of Moses, this kind of person was worthy of death. Death. If there were at least two or three witnesses to the fact and they died without mercy. No mercy. Two or three witnesses is all it took for a person to, as Elder Williamson used to say, people who, who sin with a high hand, Right? Uh, they willfully, knowingly sin against the word of God, right? Hmm? How much severe punishment, it says in this next verse, 
do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace? So the law of Moses and the prophets, they revealed only the types and shadows of that which was to come. And that which was to come was the substance of which can only be found in the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. Can you imagine someone trampling under their feet the Son of God, your Savior and Redeemer, and treating his sacred, pure, saving blood as some unholy thing? People do it all the time, don't they? Hmm? How about this? Uh, he who was given on your behalf as a promise from God, your creator. You imagine somebody just trampling on that person, on that savior, treating him as some unclean thing while at the same time insulting the Holy Spirit of grace, the only one who can draw one to Christ, seal them into the body of Christ, and resurrect their mortal body from the grave in the likeness of Christ. This is unthinkable to me. Unthinkable. But it happens every day, and it's getting worse and worse day by day. This is what an apostate does. Maybe you know one, maybe you know two of them, or maybe you live with one, I don't know. God knows what it takes and how long it takes. Don't stop praying and don't stop living the life before him because who knows, right? What can happen if you continue to live before them? This idea of sanctifying another person. We see this concept in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 where a husband, right, who is saved and has an unsaved wife or a saved wife who has an unsaved husband is able to do what? To sanctify that unbelieving spouse, right? And if they were not able to do that, the scripture says, then your children would be unholy, right? They would be unholy. But because of the believing spouse being able to sanctify not only that spouse, but the whole house, right? We see that there's hope, right? And it says, how do you know, O husband? How do you know, O wife, whether or not you will be able, by your chaste conduct, right, to save your husband or your wife, right? Because God uses us in the process of salvation, doesn't he, right? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. And if nobody has anybody to say anything to them about God, how are they going to hear, right? Huh? And they got to have a witness too, somebody who lives the life out before them. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. God will repay these individuals for their apostasy and for the way they have insulted the grace and mercy, his grace and mercy, his perfect sacrifice for sin, Jesus Christ, and the spirit of grace, which is the Holy Spirit. God will also judge his own people, and that judgment will start in the house of God. This should give us pause, shouldn't it? This should cause some self-reflection and some self-evaluation. This should cause some concern in some cases and still some godly fear as well in our lives. Because God is not playing, is he? Hmm? He does not take sin lightly, does he? And we know he doesn't because... It meant so much to him that he sent his only begotten son to die because of sin, to become a sin offering for us, right? That's not something that he takes lightly at all. 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19, for it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God. And if it is with difficulty that the righteous is saved, what will become of the godless man and the sinner? Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God 
shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. 1 Peter 4, 17 through 19. Verse 31, it is a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It's terrifying. I don't know, I stopped watching horror flicks about 15 years ago. But when I was coming up, we used to like to scare ourselves. And this was before they got into all the, it was more suspenseful than anything. When they, when they got to the Freddy Kruegers and all that kind of stuff, where they slash them and hack them and whatnot. And I mean, it was like, man, this is getting too much for me. The heels have eyes and, and, and the Texas chainsaw. I'm like, my goodness, what, what in the world would you want to do that to yourself for? I'm not going to sit up here and watch that stuff, right? I like to be, you know, a little sus- suspenseful, you know, a little, you know, get the blood, you know, going a little bit fast, their heart, you know, uh, but nowadays I can't, but though these movies nowadays, it looked like these people must have made a trip to hell, right, and came back to write about it. This is some stuff that even, even Satan himself, my goodness, I didn't even think of that one. Y'all are bad, <laughs> right? For y'all to come up with that one, my goodness, I don't even need to bother with you no more, you done, you done graduated, right? Huh? But this is a terrifying thing, to fall into the hands. Now, I don't mind being in the hands of God. That's a good thing, right? But I don't want to fall into his hands, right? Because when you fall into his hands, that has a connotation to it that is about judgment, right? Huh? That's about judgment. That's not about him keeping you and protecting you and preserving. This is about judgment when you fall into the hands of God. We're talking about not some trinket that you made in the likeness of man and creeping things, right, and animals and birds and stuff. We're talking about the living God, right, the one who counts, the one who can actually do something to you, right? So if we endure a great conflict of suffering, Christ is what we have. But remember the former days get to the good part, when after being enlightened, okay, you have to be enlightened first, and then you have to endure some things, right, through life, right? And what is it? Great conflict and suffering. How many preachers stood before people and said, if you give your life to Jesus, all your problems will go away. You'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. Hmm? And they got a lot of people to sign up, right? And they also got a lot of people to put that money in the collection plate, right? Hmm? And they filled their church because they was promising this give-to-get scheme, right? right? As though salvation in Jesus Christ was not enough in and of itself, right? God likes to give good gifts to his children, and he does. And he does not just give us what we need, but how many of y'all got some wants out there that God has given you as well? Amen. I'm glad y'all are telling the truth today. God has given us more than what we deserve, and he's been better to, our, to us than we've been to ourselves. The church of the United States or the USA has not been tested like the church in other parts of the world. We don't have armed soldiers with machine guns and machetes dragging us out of the church and then shooting us, or worse, beheading. Huh? We don't have that going on. Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. That is what is happening to some of our brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world we live in today. Today. I don't have stats because I've been standing up here. But dare I say today on Sunday, somewhere in the world, some Christian lost their life today for no other reason than naming the name of Christ, of Jesus Christ. That's not something we have to contend with today, right now. Next week, I don't know. You don't know, right? We don't know. Our day is coming and now is. Are you ready for it? These are questions I want you to ask yourself. Have you made your calling and election sure? Are you prepared to give the answer? You know what the answer is, right? 
that answer that may cause you to lose your livelihood or your very life itself? Naming the wrong person, right? Do you think a person who has a machete or a machine gun or a gun pointed at your head wants you to name Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior? Do you? No. They want you to denounce him and choose any other, that, but don't choose him. Huh? There's only one name, and you need to know the answer to that. This is just something to think about, not to worry about, as I said before. You don't have to worry about it if you are in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you need to be afraid, and you need to be very afraid. When they bring you before the synagogues, it says in Luke 12, 11, and 12, when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not worry about how or what you are to speak in your defense or what you are to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This is a promise that Jesus made to his disciples, his disciples who became the apostles, right? And this came true, just as Jesus had said when the apostles stood before the rulers and the authorities, right? Hmm? They spoke to truth, right? They spoke the truth, and they spoke truth to power, didn't they, right? They didn't care about what was going to happen to them afterwards, right? They didn't care if they got beat, and they did, right? They got whipped, and they did, right? Didn't care if they got jailed, and they did, right? They went right back doing what it is that God called them to do. Are we made of the same thing? Huh? Well, time will tell, won't it? And we need to think about these questions before that time comes. And we need to resolve within ourselves what the answer will be. You don't want to be sitting there when they ask you the question, scratching your head, wondering, what is the right answer? What should I do? I don't know. Huh? If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my father. Can you think about what that means? All the years that you quote unquote wasted coming to this church and other churches every single Sunday, hearing the word of God, making a profession of faith in Christ, and when the final exam came, you denied Christ. And then he denied you before his father. And then he said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Huh? Enter into a place prepared for the devil and his angels where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Wouldn't that be a waste of a whole bunch of Sundays if you're not serious about it right now? You need to be serious about it right now. And you need to believe with your whole being that to be absent from this body is to be present with the Lord. I'm not going to fear what man can do to my body, right? Huh? Because all he can do is kill me. He can't resurrect me and kill me again and then resurrect me and kill me again and resurrect me and kill me again, right? But if we're going to fear someone, fear God who can not only destroy the body, right? But the, the soul in hell. But that's just the beginning. We have to serve God not out of fear, but because we love him. Because he first what? He first loved us. The disciples weren't standing before the people. They were standing before the rulers and the authorities. What makes you think that it will be any different for us? The rulers and the authorities, those that have authority over us, will be the ones who will persecute us. And you have to be able to give an answer to the question. One of the things a person might argue is, well, that was for the disciples back in that day. Jesus was specifically speaking to them. But as I look at Hebrews 13 and 8, 
It tells me Jesus Christ the same yesterday and today and forevermore. What he did for them back then, he is able and will do for us today. Verse 33, partly by being made a public spectacle. What does that mean? Now, that could be shaming or canceling. We like to do that to people nowadays. We like to shame them because they have a different idea or thought, right, that is not consistent with the general population. You know, those that are on the broad way who have gone through the broad gate, right? Many people, right? We don't want to be associated with those people that went through the narrow gate, walking down the narrow way, and few there be that find it because those people are the ones that get shamed and they get canceled, right? Through reproaches, it says. I looked up that word reproaches, and it means blaming or censoring. Blaming or censoring. You're the reason for our problems today. If these Christians would just stop being so narrow-minded and dogmatic about this Jesus character, hmm? right? And when they do talk about him, we have to censor them. We need to shut them up. We need to cancel them. We need to take their Facebook page down, their Twitter feed. Let's just pause it, right? Because they're not saying what it is we believe. They're not saying what we agree with. Hmm? We don't want to hear that because it's hateful. It's spiteful, right? It's divisive, right? Huh? It's bigoted. These are all the names that you will be called. But there's worse that's coming, right? It says not just reproaches, but tribulations. Uh-oh, it's getting harder. We're talking death threats possibly, right? And partly by becoming sharers, that is partakers, with those who were treated. You will become a person who goes out and supports someone who has been treated like this for their faith. And then you will be associated with those people. Oh, you're one of them. These are all things that you may have to suffer for, not, for no other reason than telling and standing for the truth. Standing for the truth. And who is the truth? Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Are you ready? Are you willing and are you able to rise to this challenge? This is not a hypothetical question. This is something that if we live long enough, it will eventually happen. And you need to be ready. For I consider, it says in Romans 8.18, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. You might ask yourself the question, hey, I don't know if it's worth all of that. I'm not trying to lose my job. I'm not trying to lose my friends. I don't want to have to, you know, hide. I don't want to have to do this and that or whatever, right? Huh? But all of that pales in comparison when you look at the glory that shall be revealed in us. We are looking at the long game, not the short game, right? We're talking about eternity, not this temporal stuff that's going on down here on earth, right? Hey, they can have this because you know what's going to happen to this? It's going to roll up like a scroll, right? It's going to be consumed, heaven and earth, with what? Fire, right? Burnt up. And then we'll have a what? A new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem wherein dwells what? Righteousness, right? We'll have Jesus sitting upon a throne whose kingdom has no end. This is the long game. This is what we are looking forward to, right? We're not looking forward to somebody, some person rising up down here who's going to make everything right, who's going to be the great uniter, the great restorer. We already had one of those. His name is Jesus. And guess what? There's not another one coming. The only thing is, is that he's coming again, right? He is coming again. It's not going to be a new one. It's not going to be a different one. It'll be the same one, Jesus Christ, except this time he won't be coming as a suffering savior. He'll be coming as a conquering king. And you want to be in his kingdom. You want to be in his kingdom. We're not just singing about it. We're not just talking about it. This is a reality, and you should want to be a part of it. 34, for you showed sympathy. Uh-oh, you showed sympathy to these people? So you're a sympathizer. That's what they will call you. 
You're a sympathizer to the prisoners. And who puts people in prison? The rulers, the authorities, the government agencies, right? And acceptable and accepted joyfully, uh-oh, listen to this, the seizure of your property. You imagine that? What if the government just decides there's no more private property anymore? It all belongs to the state. You thought you owned that house, but now it's ours, and they just seized your property. Why? Because you are a follower of Christ. You're not lining up with our world system. Hmm? You're not getting on board with the program. God is not God. We are God. Huh? We have power and authority and control over your lives. You don't get your rights from God. You get your rights from us. And if we decide to take it from you, we will take it from you, including your property. This is nothing new. It was going on back then. But what was the attitude? They accepted it joyfully when their property was seized by the rulers, by the government. Knowing what? That you have for yourself a better possession. Huh? Not made by man's hands, right? The world didn't give it to you, and the world cannot take this away, can they? Hmm? And it is a lasting one, which what? Is eternal in the heavens. Isn't it nice to know that that's what you have in store for you? If you endure until the end. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. I told you I was going to encourage you. The only thing is, is that you have to believe what God's word says in order to be encouraged. Are you encouraged today? With God's word and what he has promised to us? If you confidently endure in faithful obedience as we close, the answer will be Christ. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has great reward. I've come too far to turn back now. Hmm? Have you ever heard some of the old saints say that? I just thought it was like a nice thing to say, a cliche, but it's not. If I were to turn back, what would I be turning back to? Have you ever thought of that? The stuff you left behind. What is the sense in going back and picking it up if you've been delivered from it already? You haven't missed it. It's kind of like the stuff in your basement, right? In that storage room, huh? Or the stuff that you have on one half of your garage. I'm still trying to go through all of that. huh? I don't even know it's there. There's boxes. If I don't need that stuff, but I'm holding on to it. Somebody's laughing out there because they got one just like it, right? But I might need that one day. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a scrapbook one day. I'm going to put all this stuff together. I've been talking about doing a scrapbook for the last 20 years. And nobody even does <laughs> scrapbooks anymore. Really? Right? I need to just put it all in one box and send it to the company and pay three or $400 and just have them put it on digital medium and then send it back to me. And I'll have it on a nice little thumb drive. No, I don't want to do that. I'm going to keep it. Take up all this space, right? But you don't want to throw this away, right? This confidence that you have in God. Don't just throw it away because you need it. Because it has a great reward associated with it. I've come too far to turn back now. And I'm not going to because there's nothing back there that I want. So this is not self-confidence that we're talking about but confidence in God, and it should, be, should not be cast aside. Our confidence should be in God and not in ourselves. Keeping your confidence in God comes with great reward, not only in this life, but the one to come. So don't throw it away. 
36, for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. What we have need of is endurance, and we're going to need it more than ever, church. We need it more than ever now because this is the home stretch. This is when it's going to be most difficult for us to keep pressing on that upward way, and we need endurance. This is like a marathon. In order to be successful with a marathon, you have to have endurance so that when you have done the will of God, and have we completely done the will of God? We're not done yet. He's not done with us, and we're not done with him yet, right? You may receive what was promised. So there's endurance, there's doing God's will, and then you will receive the promise. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay. He is coming soon, sooner than we first believe, sooner than when we first believe. No man knows the day or the hour, but the handwriting is definitely on the wall. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. This is not the time for shrinking back in fear about what man can do. We live in a culture that seeks to stamp out the truth. They hate the truth and those who tell it. These same people don't want to hear about the truth of God, the Son of, of, uh, of God, the, uh, Jesus Christ, and they suppress the truth in unrighteousness, as it says in Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. That's Romans 1.18. People have exchanged uh, truthful facts with false narratives in an effort to control what and how people think just so they can determine outcomes and maintain power. The love of money is still the root of all evil. It's still the root of all evil. Let God be true and every man a liar. May it never be, it says in Romans 3, 4, rather let God be found true, though every man be found a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and prevail when you are judged. First Corinthians or Second Corinthians 4.2 says, But we have renounced the things hidden because of shame, not walking in craftiness or uh, adulterating the word of God, but by the manifestation of truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And finally, in 1 John 4 and 3, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist, of which you have heard that is coming and now is already in the world. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the souls. We don't want to be those who shrink back like those who shrink back, because ours is one that is about faith, and it is faith that results in the preserving of the soul. So which will it be, Christ or judgment? If you go on willfully sinning, the answer is judgment, not just for this time on earth, but all eternity and in the life thereafter. Willfully sinning after coming to the knowledge of the truth is dangerous, and it is taking a, a, a needless gamble on your own life, which leads to apostasy and eternal death. If you endure a great conflict of suffering, the answer is Christ. Though it is very difficult at times when you encounter conflicts with the world and suffering for the sake of Christ, the rewards are out of this world, out of this world, when you endure it in faith and obedience in Christ. And if you confidently endure in faith, uh, obedience, the answer is certainly Christ. Our confidence is not in us, our family, our jobs, our intellect, our education. It certainly is not in the governmental institutions of mankind, but only in our Savior, Christ Jesus. And finally, in closing, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock, I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So if you have decided 
today that you would rather have Christ instead of judgment. If you need prayer, if you need strength, if you just need someone to talk to, we want to give you an opportunity to come forward after dismissal. And the elders of the church will come and they will anoint you, they will talk to you, uh, and be able to help you in whatever way uh, is necessary. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we come before you right now thanking you, Lord God, for your word, thanking you, Lord God, for your son Jesus, thanking you, Lord God, for making it possible that we do not have to accept the judgment and the wrath, Lord God, that has been reserved for those who have denied Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but we can have uh, Christ, Lord God, we can have uh, this gift, Lord God, that has come from you, Lord God, that we are undeserving of. Uh, Let us Uh, not go on willfully sinning, Lord God, for we know that if we do this, there's nothing but judgment that is is left for us. Help us to endure the great conflicts uh, of suffering which lie ahead of us, Lord, and and help us to lean solely upon uh, your uh, power, Lord God, and the grace that you extend to us day by day. Help us to confidently endure the persecution that comes as a result of us being faithfully obedient to Christ and, and help us, Lord God, to, uh, to, to be able to, to be an example and a witness to those in this dark and, and, and untoward generation. And, Lord, we ask a special prayer, Lord God, upon the authorities of this country, uh, of this world, Lord God, the rulers, Lord God, around the world, uh, that they would stand for righteousness and justice as, the, uh, as they govern your people, Lord. We ask, Lord God, that you would help the local and universal church to be lights that sit upon the hilltops, shining the light of Christ to the world. And finally, Lord, we ask that you would dismiss us from this assembly, but not from your presence, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.